0: the book of Daniel, chapter 3. A couple of years ago, when my kids were in uh, kindergarten, uh, they visited the fire station. And uh, I remember they sharing with me uh, details about that visit. They were so impressed, and uh, they were so excited about what they saw in the fire station. And... um, How many know that when you're a firefighter, you don't run from fire. In fact, you run towards fire. That is the reality with a firefighter. A firefighter doesn't run away at the very uh, sound of trouble. In fact, when there are fires and explosions... Most people begin to flee and they run in the opposite direction. However, a firefighter will have to run towards it. When disasters strike, firefighters are the ones on the first off, one of the first officials to reach the scene. Even in medical emergencies, firefighters are often responding to the call. If there was a character you could attribute to a firefighter, it would be uh, the attribute of courage. Firefighters are often known to be courageous. They know that at the back of their mind, there is a reality that they may not make it out alive. And yet they push themselves through and do it, a, do it a, a go through it and do it anyway. Uh, General Norman Swashkov once said, true courage is being afraid, and going ahead, and doing your job anyhow. That is what courage is. Courage is not the people who do things, because they are not afraid. Courage involves fear, and yet the choice, of still doing it, knowing the consequences and the danger thereof. What I want to talk to you about tonight is going to be very relevant to your walk with God. The world that we are living in today will undeniably use fear, aggression, to dictate, to influence and control the decisions that we must make as Christians. The world as we know it refers to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the spirit of carnality, the spirit of the flesh, and worldliness as we know, beloved, is enmity with God. In James chapter 4, verses 4, the Bible says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's a hard pill to swallow. That scripture will go down the same path, the same conviction when Jesus said, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. It goes down that very same, trink, uh, that very same uh, 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 passage. The Bible tells us that when you want to honor God, you cannot make friends with the things of the world. So that leaves us then, with one option. And that is running towards the fire, ignoring the reality of it. Running away from the reality of it isn't going to be the call of the Christian life, but rather, beloved, every believer here today will have to make the choice deciding between the world and God. And when you choose the way of the world, when the world's way is embraced, when carnality is embraced, the reality of it is God is excluded. We may not like that equation, but God cannot be in fellowship with darkness. We may disagree, we may debate that, we may argue that, but beloved, that is why we find the quality of Christianity the way it is, because Christians today have become compromising serpents. They've compromised, they've made excuses, they've allowed the world into the church. That is why the moment there is issues, there is pressure, the moment there is indeed some form of aggression that comes against your Christianity, at the very first sound of that aggression, at the very first sound of that assault, people quit Christianity. They are still in church, but they are still sinning. And God says, you cannot... You cannot mingle worldliness with godliness. And this is what the world wants. The world wants to make the church look like the world. How many know that Christians look like the world today? Amen. We behave so much like the world. No one can tell you apart. They look at us and sometimes they wonder, are you even a Christian? And this is really what the devil, this is what the Satan indeed desires to do. He wants to make us an enemy of God. This is sometimes the reason why God doesn't answer certain prayers. We can pray, we can ask for breakthrough. And what God does is, the Bible makes it clear, you become, you and I become an enemy of God. The the headship of God is removed from our lives. Today you look around you, there's gender debates. I told my wife yesterday or two days ago, we went somewhere. I said, uh, why don't you women start arguing about the, uh, the logo on the woman's toilet? Because they made the skirt of the woman's toilet so big, she looks like a fat woman. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? I was like, why doesn't that, why doesn't that offend the so-called feminist? Come on. <laughs> Only fat women. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but, but the, the logo looks like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And they argue about everything. Religious intolerance. We were just talking just now. It's about time, just a matter of time. Now they've already closed down 40 shops. It's not like I agree with it anyway. <laughs> but the reality is, next what? Churches? Come on. Come on. Temples? Yeah. Places of worship? Beloved, I'm here to tell you that it's not going to get easier because when the world begins to creep into the church, when the world is given its place, Christians have to stand aggressively and make stands for God. We can call it what we want, but the but the reality is the reality of it is this is a masking of a spirit the spirit of rebellion. the world is trying to infiltrate the church it's trying to rebel against God's authority that is why the argument about gender that is why the argument about you know being in the house of God that is why the argument about serving God is becoming more and more and more aggressive because the world hates it when you live for God. The whole the world hates it. Do you know? I shared with you this morning that I'm 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 humble, but I'm also troubled by the reality that you have churches running at one time thousand five hundred people, and I'm not talking to just a stranger. I know this man. He is a part of that church. He is a leader in that church, and he says, Pastor, we are now at only two hundred people. What happened to the thousand three hundred people? You know what? Somewhere, somehow, there's two things that can be the reality here. Number one, and I, and I say this soberingly, number one, there are many non-quality Christians around because the Word of God is not being preached from the pulpit. And the moment people face opposition, they walk away. Number two, Christians are looking for an easy exit. They've never been converted, they've never experienced God. They were just filling up churches, they were just filling up the chairs, they were just there as a number, so it sounded, wow, you got thousand over people in church and you have a large congregation and so on, but beloved, the reality is the world is on a perpetual mission to remove God from our lives, from our nation, from our families and from our schools. One of the pastors in Sri Lanka texted me about two weeks ago and he told me about what is happening in Sri Lanka. Now, the Buddhist monks have risen and they are going against churches and they are persecuting Christians. There is a pressure that is rising against Christians today. There is a pressure, beloved, sometimes in, this, in such a subtle way that we don't even see it, but Christians are becoming more and more prone to giving in because we have not learned to fight fire. And I want to talk to you about, secondly, about the intensity of this attack. Because what you would see in the passage that we're reading is that the attack intensifies. And when you're a Christian, you are going to find that anything you choose to do for God and any time you choose to live for as a Christian, you are going to have to face oppositions. There is going to be an intensive reality that the world will try to bring against a Christian, but I make this statement to you, an intense Christian will survive the the intensity of the world. An intense Christian will survive the intensity of the world. If you are radical for God, If you would choose to stand and fight for God, our deep, intense relationship with God, when we are intentional, when we are critical, when we are earnest in our seeking of God, when our relationship with God is is solid and is is founded on the rock, I say to you, it becomes bulletproof. Satan can form its weapons. He can bring any type of ideology. He can present any type of nonsense that the world tries to propagate into the church. But because you have a right relationship with God, you will not sway, but you will stay. And this is the spirit that the church needs to develop. I want to preach to you this evening a sermon I've called Facing the Fire. Out of Daniel chapter 3, 19 through 25. Let's read that this evening. Verses 19 through 25. The Bible says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Don't look at me, undergarments. I know people were thinking about undergarments. Anyway, therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot; the flame of the fire killed those men with, the, with men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then the king was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counsellors, "Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire?" They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So in our text, there were three men, Daniel's good friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a choice to make. And right here, the Bible de- describes to us that as this idol was built, the Bible describes to us that they were instructed, they were, de- they were, they were placed with uh, the, the clear instruction to bow down to that idol, but these three men refused to bow down to that idol. And I want you to see what transpires in this text. In verses 19, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was full of fury. The expression on his face revealed his unhappiness. Can I say, beloved, this is necessary for us to understand because the world will use aggression to get you. If you don't, if you don't choose to work this hour, this hour, this hour, you can't have this job. And people, <gasps> remember I don't go to church anymore. Right? Right? What happened? The moment we are faced with aggression. Or, or, or what about, oh, you know, I, I, have, I, have, I have something else to do and so on and so forth. And, and the pressure intensifies. Maybe it's a family member. Now they show you anger. They're upset. Why are you in church so much? Why are you always telling the truth? Why are you always choosing to do the right thing? Why are you always choosing to honor God? Why you always have to pray, 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 pray? Why do you always have to give, 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 give? And then what do they do? They do what Nebuchadnezzar do. They show you their unhappiness. They pressure you. They pressure you with their unhappiness. And this is what the world will try to do. The world will try to declare hate our lives through aggression. In his anger, out of anger, what did Nebuchadnezzar command his men to do? Heat up the furnace seven times. Make life difficult for them. Isn't that what the world is doing? Try to be a good Christian today. Try to tell the truth wherever you go. And see what happens. Try to tell people I'm not going to bribe. Try to tell someone, no, I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to smoke that. Try to tell someone that I'm not going to behave like that. Try to tell someone I'm not going to sleep around and watch what they do to you. They turn against you. And this is what we don't want. We hate having to face those consequences, but he commanded that it be hit up seven times more. And this is the reality, beloved, the team that impacted me from this passage. Just one thing caught my attention. Just one singular thing that hit me was that knowing the consequences, these young men still made a stand. What do you do when you know the consequences? What do you do when you know you may lose your job because you choose to tell the truth? Oh, I'll just tell one lie. You see, we're living in a day and age where we want to make Christianity convenient. We're living in a day and age where we want to make Christianity Convenient. We want, to, we want to try and, 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 and affiliate Christianity to this compromising meth, me, uh, uh, methodology, uh, you know, this religion that God understands everything you go through. God knows your heart. God sees everything and God knows and God understands. But can I say to you, beloved, the same God who understands is the same God who knows you can make a stand. These young men knew that choosing not to bow down to the king's golden image, choosing not to bow down will result in them being thrown into the furnace. They knew. And that's what caught me. Daniel chapter 3, verses 6, the Bible says, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. The word furnace, the furnace that is used here, we know uh, Nebuchadnezzar instructed his servants to heat it up seven times more. This represents the pressure. This represents the pressure that the world will send towards us. The Bible says in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves, boasters, proud. Men will think that they are right in their own eyes. Men will see themselves and assume that, you know what, I'm doing nothing wrong. Listen, that's the spirit of pride. The Bible says, the Bible declares, be careful when you think you're right because you will fall. When you think you're right in your own eyes, this generation is filled with enormous amount of pride. I talked to many people. This week alone, I've spoken to numbers of people and I can tell you, sometimes they are new. First time meeting them, first time having a conversation and they are proud about what they've accomplished. Oh, I tell you what I've done. Let me tell you what I've achieved. Love of money, boasters, these are things of the last days. And this is creeping into the church world today, where Christians are chasing after what the world is chasing after. Let me say to you, it'll only get harder. If you're going to compromise in your Christianity, I'll say to you, the Bible says in the book of Matthew, if you don't confess me before God, before the people, I will not confess you before my Father. So it, it, it doesn't, oh, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I'm a Christian, but you're slipping around. I'm a Christian. But you're sinning. Are you mocking God? Can confess God with your mouth. I preached this morning but God sees the intent of the heart. God doesn't see the outside. Oh, we can praise Him. But God saw beyond that, remember? God saw beyond that. God saw, no, 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 no. You, you can praise me. We must answer this question tonight. Will we stand for righteousness? Beloved, will we stand for Righteousness? Despite the consequences, will we do right? Will we continue to do right? Knowing that we will face the fire. You see, the quality of your faith will determine how you respond. Your faith is going to express how you respond when you're under pressure. Your faith is going to express how you react when the fires are burning before you. Your faith is going to determine where you stand with God. The quality of your Christianity, your level of faith is going to be exposed when you go through the fire. There was an eight-month-old girl who died Several other children who were hospitalized after a fire broke down or broke out in an apartment where their mother had left them at home alone and was at the nightclub. The fire department responded 2 a.m. on Sunday to a report of a fire at the apartments and found heavy smoke and flames coming from one of the units. Five children between ages one and six, four of them siblings, were rescued and taken to the hospital. But the eight-month-old girl, known as Reem Jenkins, died at the scene. Her 23-month-old brother is in critical condition. Both children lived at at the apartment. How sad, beloved, that our decisions, our refusal. Our ignorance, our negligence, our unwillingness to do right as parents cost our children a price to pay. They die in that fire because we compromised who we were. Just give in. Never mind, the world wants you to do this. The world wants you to just give in. Let Do what the world wants you to do. Just please the world. Is that what we teach our children today? Is that what we teach our, our, our family and the people that are surrounded? Listen, if you are a Christian long enough, you should be discipling someone into becoming a believer and a stronger believer. But if you're not doing that, you need to ask yourself, what am I doing as a Christian? Who have you brought to church? Who are you working with right now? Who are you developing? Let me teach you how to pray. Come sit next to me. Let me teach you. There's a reason why I sit next to this guy when in sermon. Because I'm discipling him. I've learned you cannot let them be in the fire alone. Who do you work with? Who do you labor with? Who do you seed potential in? If you're not careful, we can survive the fire, but others will die. We come out alive, but others will die. There's a reason why my son sits here and prays with me. Because I'm teaching him. Prayer is our life blood. There's a reason why I pray the way I pray. Because I'm teaching my son that you must pray. Because one day they will go through the fire and they may not make it out. So what helps us survive the fire? I believe that coming together is necessary. That's why the assembly is so vital. That's why coming to church is so important. That's why being in the house of God is so necessary. Because when you stand together, there is a unity, beloved. There is a transcendence of strength as we remain in agreement. The mighty men of valor in this passage, bind them. Listen to me. The Bible says in verses 21, Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Why? Why? Why, beloved, do we see the reality of what's happening here and how does that relate to us? I believe God has a reason for placing that in Scripture because as the mighty men of valor bound them, our text doesn't suggest that the men who were present stepped out and said, oh, 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 we're not with them. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken in. Now, Shadrach may have gone in first. But Meshach and Abednego could have turned around and said, "I don't know that brother man. Hey, hey, hey! Well, you want me to bow down to the idol? Let me bow down now." He could have stepped back. He could have said, "You know what? No, 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 no. We're not in this together. They are alone. I don't know that dude." But they didn't do that. They walked in it together. They went through the fire together. This is why church is so important. This is why we pray together. This is why we come together. This is why we come and we gather in the house of God. Because in unity, there is a transcendence of strength that moves from headship all the way below. People don't get that. People don't understand that. That's why the world has them. That's why the world so easily takes them, uses them, deceives them, makes them believe, I'm a Christian, but you cuss like a sailor. How can God live in you out of the same mouth, blessing and cursing? How can that be? Jonathan Edwards called the generation he lived in nominal Christians. Because people who were living at that time were chasing after money, wealth, fame, recognition, properties. They wanted things, they wanted success in life. And so he said, these were nominal Christians. You know what they used to do? If you read the the, the autobiography or the biography, you'll find out what they used to do was they used to go to church, they used to tithe They used to give. They came one service and they said, I'm done. Nominal Christianity, just meet the minimum requirement. Enough. Enough. I'll I'll be blessed because I tithe word. I give word. I pray word. Nominal Christianity. It's not a a new thing. It's an age-old thing. That's why we, by the grace of God, God has kept us and preserved us. I look at the church and I say, thank God. I think, as of now, to be honest, if you're watching online, three people have not come back to church. The rest are back. Only three. Three individuals, not families. No, no, three individuals. That's a good thing. And they still watch online. I thank God for that quality. I thank God that our sincerity and our earnestness didn't go down the drain. We built a quality congregation, church, a people of God who stood the test of time. But I'm here to tell you, beloved, it doesn't stop there. That the gathering, the Bible says in Hebrews ten twenty-five, not forsaking. Read that. Read that with me. Hebrews ten twenty-five. Jeremy, go ahead and put that up. Hebrews ten twenty-five. Not forsaking the assembling. Say assembling. You know, you know, people say oh online service is okay. I can stay at home and watch online, right? Right? Let me tell you something. How would it be if I had a bicycle and my pedal was that side, my my tire was this side, the chassis was there, right? And then I said I got a bicycle. And then I held the chassis, but no tire, no pedal, no handlebars. Are you with me? You know what assembly means? Together. The bicycle has been fixed together. That is when the bicycle becomes usable. Are you with me? Are you with me tonight? Right? If the bicycle had one part here and one part there and one part there and one part, you can't call it a bicycle. All it is is spare parts. So I don't want to say it, but are we spare part Christians? (laughs) Right? I mean, because this is where we gather. We come together. The Spirit of God manifests Himself in the house of God. And this is very important, church, because this is what helps us survive the pressures that the world will throw at us. When the world tempts you to commit sin, when the world challenges you to do ungodliness. I was just talking to my wife earlier today. I say, I look at the young people and I thank God. No doubt they go through youthful issues. They go through teenage issues. No doubt they have battles they go through. But we, by God's grace, have some good teenagers in this church. You look at the past year, two years, three years back. There were people who, who, who would stand on stage and sing songs and worship lead. You remember the guy who wrote the song uh, Oh Praise the Name? Marty Stimson, Marty Sampson, right? Such a powerful song. But you know what? He backslid. Went to the world. They found out later this guy was a hypocrite. He pretended to have cancer because it gave him attention on stage. So he told everyone, I'm sick. Put a tube on, came on stage and sang, oh praise the name. He's the author of that song. Backslid. John Harris or Joshua Harris, uh, one of the most powerful authors who wrote a book, Why I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He, he was the guy who introduced in the 21st century what we call today courtship. Uh, we no longer believe in, in, in just, you know, a uh, pleasure, a uh, 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 dating, you know, oh, I'm, I'm just going to check this girl out, you know, I'm going to check this guy out. No, no, no. If you want to go out with someone, you plan that, you know what, I'm gonna, we're going to do this and the purpose of me doing this is not to fool around and to play around, it's to get married. That if this works, then we're going to get married. This is the purpose of it. You know, just, just to go on record, I never even asked my wife if she would marry me. She's not, she's not upset with that. Don't worry. I just went and bought a ring. I told pastor, we're getting married. That said, did you ask? The, did, did you ask? No, no, nothing. We assumed we were okay. We just want to get married. And we got married. <laughs> nothing. I never popped the question. and said, will you marry? I didn't spend money. <laughs> Having a big fiasco, you know, with a banner. Will you marry me? And then get a friend. Nothing. I got a car, drove to Kluang, said, Uncle, I going to kahwin Ah, uh, boleh, oh, boleh, boleh, boleh. Bila, bila. <laughs> That was all. That was all. He said, don't go eat. And then he took us for lunch. And we came back. Am I right? Am I right? That's it. No questions asked. He, he, he wrote this profound book. And he introduced courtship He said, no more dating, courtship. But you know what? He became a gay, homosexual, backslid. Justin Bieber came out, oh, you know, I'm a Christian now. Have you listened to his songs recently? Sick, and you say you're a Christian? The song has lust all over it. Kanye West, right? Who remembers Kanye West? Say, I'm a Christian. No, he was not. He loved the attention that was given for being called a Christian. See, you have to study truth. But the question here is simply this. Why am I saying all of it? Uh, I'm going to close. Don't worry. Before you stone me or throw the chair at me. I'm going to close. Let me ask you, why did all of these people leave the faith? Why? Have you pondered why? Very simply, because there was an absence of Christian fellowship. They had no brothers and sisters who were Christians that surrounded them. They were in the world most of the time. And every time they performed for a concert, every time they came on stage to sing, it was to perform somewhat a song that you know, that, 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 that glad attention on them. They looked good on the outside, but beloved, deep down on the inside, they were lonely. They had no one. They never grew because when you don't have Christian fellowship, you stay, you, you stay stagnant as a Christian. You never grow. When you come for prayer, you hear others praying. And when you hear others' prayer, you are challenged to pray. Or else you won't come. You come to pray. Why do we set that atmosphere? Why do we set that environment in church? Because we believe, beloved, that when we attach ourselves together, when we root ourselves together, it strengthens us to stand in the perilous times that the enemy brings against us. Our character, our heart, our mind, our emotions everything in us. The Bible says that they walked into the furnace with everything they had. Did we read that? That's a picture of everything in you will be pressured. Your heart, your mind, your character, your outward physical being, everything. The Satan will attack you outrightly and pressure you to walk away from God. He will cause anything He can to subtly turn you around so that your, your attention and your focus will not be on God. And how many Christians has He successfully done that with? Let's close finally because the promise remains true. And this is what we must end with this evening. The Bible says in verses 25, Look, I see four men lose... Walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fort is like the Son of God. You know, the promise remains true for all those who will make a stand for God. If you and I will refuse... If you and I will refuse the things that the world presents to us. If you and I will choose righteousness. Beloved, can I say to you right here, this sermon isn't trying to advocate that we don't go into the world or join in the world or delete all your friends from the world who are not Christians. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says if you have an alcoholic brother, cut it off. Have no fellowship with him. Remember? In the book of Corinthians. If you have someone who's a Christian, who's living an adulterous immoral life, have nothing to do with it. Paul said that. That, that is so disturbing. You're like, oh, whoa. I didn't say that. That's not Gregory's translation. That is Paul. In the book of Second, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 6, you can read that. He said, because you were bought at a price. The Holy Spirit purchased you. So you must live righteously. You, you don't hear sermons like that too much anymore, right? But the truth be told, when you read this passage, there was a man who went in with the other tree, And that is the power that comes from standing for, righteous, for righteousness. You have God by your side. The only way you can encounter that strength that comes from God. This morning I preached about God being a compassionate being. And I said that sermon is incredibly personal to us. Because I sit down and I spoke to my wife. And, and, and we had this conversation. I said, you know, we had so many people around us. We talked to different people. We tell them. And all they ever told us was, it's going to be okay. We'll pray for you. And I thank God for that. But the only one who I could fall back on really was God. That I realized that God, and I thank God for this church. I thank God for my pastor. I thank God for everybody else that were around us who prayed and, and, and laid hold of God for us. But I'll tell you, beloved, the only one who stood in the moments of silence when no one was watching was God. And I felt Him. I felt that strength, I felt that peace, I felt that grace, I felt that mercy, I felt that compassion of God, God was right there with us. When we went through that furnace, when we were walking through it, it felt hot, it felt burning, it was fuming, it was pressuring, all of that beloved, but I felt God in there. The men of valor threw them in. The Bible says that the king's command was urgent. The furnace was heated up. And the men of valor began to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. And this is a picture, beloved. The word valor simply means a person of great courage. A person who's brave. This was a man who threw these three into the burning furnace, which describes, beloved, this is an imagery of compromising Christians, half-hearted, carnal Christians that will often push the righteous into the fire. Why? 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 Why you cannot behave like that? Why you cannot dress like that? Why you cannot drink that? Why you cannot smoke that? Why you cannot this? Why you cannot that? I also Christian one. Am I right? They are the, they are the, the men of valor. They, they, they don't want to. They push you in. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. It seems that they don't respect someone's conviction. These men, I call them carnal Christians. Because as they were there, the Bible tells us that they were to bow down and yet pledge their allegiance to the God of this world and throw the other Christians into the fire. They survived. Shadrach, Mishan, and Abednego survived the fire. At the surprise of the king, the Bible says. What was so powerful about this passage is that the king sees what happens and the salvation of the king is attributed to the stance that these Christian men made. Can I say that again? The salvation of the king. The king would have not come to salvation if these three men said, okay, 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 okay. I bow down one time now, just one time I bow down. It's okay. It's okay. okay. What is one bowing down going to do? You know, brother Moses was a. I shared about him this morning, uh, 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 but you know, he he sat as a GM on on one of the uh, 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 Japanese companies, and he was he was a man. He was a decision maker you know anything about Moses, he was a decision maker. He gave people in this church, I was someone who was coming to church, gave, gave her a job because he was in a position to, to place people where they needed to be. He was a blessing. But I remember when he went to Thailand, he was sitting in the limo. They, they took all their staffs in and every one of these GMs got their own vehicle. They said he was sitting on the back seat. And everyone who passed that idol had to bow down. But he said, I'm not going to do it. He was a man who stood for righteousness. I remember when his daughter got married, you all were there. He said, no alcohol. Because he says, we want to celebrate That was his stand. Was he pressured? Oh, yes. Yes. Was he challenged? Oh, yes. But I tell you what, he ran the race, he finished the race, and he was a righteous man. Matthew 24:13 He who endures to the end shall be saved. Why am I preaching this? Beloved, we don't know how much of time we may have. But I'll tell you, the pressure is intensifying. What used to be wrong. Remember Isaiah fifty twenty says, Woe to those who call what is right wrong and wrong right. This is the culture we're living in. Where Christians are challenged in their faith. And I have said a few things tonight and I believe, beloved, that the conviction has to be upon you. I am not one who will force you to stop doing so. I am not one who will come and spy on you. Oh, did, did, you, did, did you do this? Did you do that? Why did you sin? Why did you? No, I won't, I won't bother. Trust me, I'm not that type of a person. But you have to have conviction. Because it is those who survive till the end who will make it. Don't cheat yourself. Don't be a hearer and not a doer. Just a hearer, oh, what a powerful sermon, wow, you know. What have you repented from? The pressure is on. You're going to be challenged. Listen, I I can tell you, beloved, in this day and age that we're living in, my wife and I, I told you the story. We've been doing a bit of work recently, and I can tell you, there's been temptations upon temptations upon that. Why don't you just give them 20 cents? They'll close the deal. The purchasing department will close the deal. Just give them 20 cents. That's it. Say, no, thank you. We won't do that. They can go and buy from whoever else they want. We will not do that. Because that's unrighteous. Tell your boss about it. Why would you not tell your boss? It's unrighteous. It's not money meant for you. You're cheating the company. Oh, but pastor, how to do business otherwise? God will be with you. I want you to bow your heads.